It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, December eighth, two thousand and eleven, is live and on your computer tonight. Thank you for joining us on the Virtual Bible Study. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, sits across the table from me as usual. Dad, welcome to the program. Jacob, great to be with you as always. Thursday night, we look forward to our Internet Bible Study group and. Uh, Hope that we'll uh, have a good and productive study tonight. That's right, and we're looking forward to that discussion being productive because of your participation. The ways you join in are 877-381-4567. That is a toll-free line, and the line is open. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use, and the chat room is live and open on the right of your viewing window tonight. Sign in there with no personal information required, and you can comment with listeners around the world. Well, we've got a, a program planned for tonight that uh, has the potential to be quite controversial, unfortunately. Yeah, we've got some controversial questions. We're going to talk, I, I announced to our update list earlier today that we're going to talk about marriage questions. Obviously, there's an unlimited number of marriage questions, but we've got four that are on the on the docket tonight, so to speak. And maybe some of them are somewhat controversial, uh, but there's some questions that have been posed to us over time. Some have been sent in by email. One of them was asked of me personally recently. And so I just thought it'd be worth uh, talking about those questions on the virtual Bible well, study tonight. It, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, the marriage and divorce question or marriage question has to be controversial because the scriptures aren't, it's very, the instructions are very simple, but we'll talk about that as we go along. Someone, uh, though, did uh, sort of chide you that uh, maybe you're going to venture into the very controversial here tonight. Yeah, I've been warned that the questions tonight are quite controversial and we may have our hands full. I, we're going to do our best, and if people are not satisfied with our answers, they'll just have to be not satisfied with their hands, but we'll do our best to give a Bible answer. That's what and we always try to do, Jacob, on the Virtual Bible Study. That's what it's all about, and if you don't like our answers, if you're not satisfied with them, you can correct that by giving us a call, sending us an email, or sending your comments in the chat room. Yeah, and we will try to deal with them all. We uh, we always do. In fact, on this one question, one of the fellow who uh, got a question from Bill in Texas, and he had sent the question in a few weeks ago, and I told him we'd try to deal with it in a, in a future broadcast. And when when I put his question in the mix for tonight's study, he wrote me back and said, I'm surprised. He said, I didn't think you'd do it. Didn't think you oh, well. Well, okay. but we will. And I think Bill's probably listening tonight. Bill, uh, I hope you're there in Texas listening to our discussion. He's sent in some emails to me. We'll deal with those uh, 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 when we get to them. But we're glad for everybody who's listening tonight. Again, his questions on marriage. And to our update list earlier today, as we always do on Thursday, we try to send out an email telling you our topic, asking you some questions for consideration, getting your feedback. And we've got tonight, we've got a good bit of feedback from some of our listeners, even from some on the other side of the world, Jacob. Our, our, really? Oh, yeah. yes, I see one here from yeah, Singapore. Uh, from Singapore. We're getting a response from Aaron in Singapore. Uh, so uh, we got, I think we got a good study. Here's the questions we sent out earlier today. Question one. This is not a divorce and remarriage question. This is another question about marriage. 
A church in rural eastern Kentucky made news headlines this week by voting to bar mixed-race couples from joining their congregation. It was a story in the Nashville, Tennessean that we yeah. picked up. Uh, what does the Bible say about interracial marriages? Do you believe they are sinful? Why or why not? That's question one. Question two. There are some who believe that men may divorce an unfaithful wife and remarry without sin. By the way, my my question had a typo in it. That should be without. Yeah. Because uh, I, I would agree with it the way you posed it. <laughs> that a man may divorce an unfaithful wife and marry without sin. But women are not authorized to divorce an unfaithful husband. The view is taken based upon the wording of Matthew 5.32 and Matthew 19.9. And so the question is, can an innocent wife divorce a guilty husband and remarry without sin? Why or why not? Mm-hmm. Question three. This is the question from Bill in Texas. How would you respond to Bill? If Paul and the other apostles were guided to all truth, and Paul taught on MDR, at least, MDR is obviously an acrostic abbreviation for marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Paul taught on MDR at least two times, and he never said anything about the Jewish exception for remarriage. Why did the denominations and Protestants run to the time era of the old law to quote Christ talking to the Pharisees? Paul said he preached the whole counsel of God, Acts 20, 27. Plus, he said in 2 Timothy 4, 17 that the message was preached fully by me. In other words, Paul said the message was preached fully by me, Paul. Paul, in all his teaching on MDR, and he quotes Romans 7, 1 and 3, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11, 1 Corinthians 7, 39 and 40. The Pharisaical or Jewish exception is not mentioned. If the Holy Spirit guided him to all truth, where is it? Was it an oversight that he did not mention that a married person could get a divorce if a mate committed adultery? It was plain from the reading of instructions to Christians given by the Holy Spirit and Paul that you are bound to your mate for life. Okay. And so Bill's position is when Jesus offered an exception whereby a person could divorce and remarry without sin in Matthew 5.32 and Matthew 19.9. Bill's position is he was talking to the Pharisees, and it doesn't apply to us. Okay. All right, so we'll, we'll deal with that. That's a kind of involved question. We'll try to get to that. Yeah. And number four, if an innocent mate is put away or divorced by their lawful mate, in other words, uh, here's a mate. He or she is innocent, but their mate puts them away, divorces them. May that put away mate remarry without sin if their first partner committed fornication either before or after the divorce takes place. Well, that's a common scenario, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, and it is a divisive question somewhat, so okay. we'll deal with that. All right. Those are our questions. We've got four. We're going to have to hurry to get to them all. Let's get going. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. The chat room is open as well. And Anthony's behind the controls tonight. Anthony, uh, good to have you here. We'll look forward to hearing from you as the program uh, goes along tonight. I'll go ahead and open up your mic so anytime you're ready, you can blast away. Just don't be whistling over there. Yeah, all, right. all right. All right. All right. Here's the – Here's the. I, I got, I'm not going to read this whole thing out of the Nashville, Tennessee. Let's go to this first question. Interracial marriage. What does the Bible say about interracial marriage? Is it authorized? Is it sinful? What do you know about interracial marriage? We based that question on the, a news article that came from the Gulnari. I'm not sure how you say I it. I never figured that out either. It's Gulnar, Gulnari, Free Will Baptist Church. That's in, in uh, Pike County in eastern Kentucky. Yes. Uh, rural they, eastern Rural Kentucky. eastern Kentucky. And uh, they passed a resolution saying uh, that they do not condone interracial marriage and, quote, Parties of such marriages will not be received as members, nor will they be used in worship services and other church functions, with the exception being funerals. They will do a funeral for such a person, but you can't be a member of that church. You will not be used in their services. Small church, 35 to 40 people, but they got quite a bit of news coverage on this. Oh, man, all over the news. Yeah. uh, Church member and former pastor 
Melvin Thompson pushed for the vote, but he would not tell the Associated Press why he did it. And so uh, uh, that that was the story that kind of got our attention. I, I've not known anybody to kick up their heels too much about interracial marriage. In recent years, I, I, I don't have trouble imagining that in time gone by, even right here in our immediate community, it would have been uh, a pretty eye-raising situation because there was just some general prejudice, an awful lot of general prejudice. Thankfully, I think we can say thankfully, that a lot of that has gone by the way. Uh, I'm not saying that the problem of racial prejudice is completely gone, but i got to tell you, it's a way a lot better than it used to be, and we can be thankful for that. But what about well, you know, it, interracial marriage? I, I learned uh, in this news uh, story that uh, it not too many years ago it was, it was illegal for to have to be interracially yeah. married married in Virginia. I think it was yeah, in the it last says, it 40 says, years, maybe? M- more than 40 years ago, the U.S. Supreme Court knocked down a Virginia statute barring whites from marrying non-whites and overturned bans in 15 other states. Mm. So that was just 40 years ago. Yeah. So, so it has been a problem in the past, but what do the scriptures teach us about interracial marriage? Jim in Mount Pleasant uh, says the Bible nowhere condemns uh, or comments on marriage from an interracial standpoint. The comments of God are, A, do both parties have a right to marry? Single, widow, divorced for the right reason, according to Matthew 19.9. B, are they male and female, according to Matthew 19. Beyond these concerns, the Bible does not prohibit the marrying of a person from another race unless you're talking about outer space. I don't, I, and I, if I had Jim on the line, I'd say, now, okay, where's it address outer space partners? No. I don't know. I I'm guess just, he's, I, maybe he's making it a, I believe that's okay. tongue-in-cheek. All right. I think we got a real good answer. That's a good answer by Jim, by the way. And we got a good answer from Aaron in Singapore who writes this. The Bible says nothing about any distinction between races of men except that God cares nothing about them. All men are descended from one, and there's only one human race, Acts 17:26. The only distinction that God ever cared about was Jew and Gentile, and that distinction no longer has meaning. Romans 10.12, Colossians 3.11. At one time, God prohibited his people from marrying certain nationalities, Deuteronomy 7.1-4. But only certain nations were excluded, and it was not because of their racial origin, but because of their pagan practices. There was no prohibition on marrying outside your race, even to the Jews. Hence, the bloodline of the Son of God included Rahab and Ruth, neither from Jewish lines. At least one instance of interracial marriage is recorded in Numbers 12, beginning verse 1. Moses' family was unhappy with him for marrying an Ethiopian woman, yet when they challenged him, God took Moses' aside, not theirs. None of us is of unmixed ethnic heritage anyway. If every man were limited to marrying someone with exactly the same mix of ethnicities that is in his own bloodline, we'd all die celibate. If one insists on maintaining some distinction between so-called races of men, then every marriage is interracial. Yeah. I think, I think Aaron has nailed it. I, I think the answer, we asked the question, uh, oh, where are my questions? Your questions are, um, Here, I said, what, what does, does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? The Bible doesn't say anything at all. There you go. Except that we're not to show partiality. God is no respecter of persons, and we're not supposed to be either. In James chapter 2, uh, it, it warns us, uh, about having respect of persons. And uh, if, if verse 9, James 2, verse 9, if you have respect of persons, you commit sin and are convinced the law is transgressors. And so I'd say that's about the only thing the Bible says on it. Well, yeah, and, you know, that that is a good comment by Aaron because most people think interracial between, you know, I mean, they're, they're varying, I mean, races even of what we'd call Caucasian. I mean, yeah. So. I mean, do you, do you know that you have pure 
Caucasian blood in your veins? Or do you have to be... How far United back? How many generations back you got to go, by the way? Or is it just United States Caucasian versus... I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you, those who take that position have got a completely untenable and unworkable conclusion. Anthony, your comments along those lines. I mean, yeah, there's just no biblical basis at all for saying that people of two different races or, or really, really what we're saying... People are, say, two different colors. <laughs> yeah, right, right. What is a race? I mean, does it mean Scandinavian? Does it mean German? Right, there you go. So how do, how do you even break down the ra- and, and define what you mean by race? Right. So, uh, But the Bible clearly teaches that, that God is not a respecter of persons and that, and that we should not be either. You know, though, uh, Anthony, when uh, someone wants to have uh, a view that uh, it is... You know, they don't want to think it. You know, it's probably not right. If they can somehow prove it from the scriptures that, uh, oh, the Bible says you're not supposed to do that, or you know, the Bible says there's something wrong with that race, then that makes it more palatable. I think it may have been religious tradition because, as we said in the past, there's been a lot of, of uh, racial prejudice, but uh, I don't, it could never have been based upon the New Testament scriptures that there's any condemnation of interracial marriage. You wanted to have Jim on the line who, uh, about his comment on those from outer space, and you do have him on the line. Yeah, he says in the chat room that that was a, a meant for sarcasm. Well, you, it went over your head. Yeah, oh, we got you, Jim. We got you. Okay. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we get back. Now, that was the, actually, that was the easy question. That was the easy one? Yeah, that was the easy one. So, oh, boy, we're in for it tonight. All right, the second one that we're going to go to is, can a, does the woman have the same rights of divorce and remarriage that a man has? That's our question we'll go to when we get back from the break. So a, husband, a man can divorce his wife, but a wife can't divorce her husband. That's what some say. Okay, we'll get on that on the other side. So we're talking about racism. Maybe talking about uh, chauvinism now. Oh, okay. All right, we'll talk about that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. Hi, I'm Anthony Petrochko, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We want to remind you that our website, www.collegeview.com or www.thevirtualbiblestudy.com, has lots of valuable study tools available for your use. First, you can find archives of all our past programs there. We've covered a wide variety of topics, including doctrinal issues, moral and ethical questions, and many things related to living daily as a Christian. And while we don't have a search engine option on our website, Website, remember that you can hit Control F and type in a keyword. You'll then see that keyword highlighted on the page. For instance, if you hit Control F and typed in the word worship, you'd find these past programs that we've conducted. Does it matter how we worship? What about contemporary worship and hand clapping? Our worship, pleasing to God or pleasing to man, and instrumental music in worship. That's just an example, but you get the idea as to how the web page can be used to help in your study of various subjects. Also remember that we have copies of our church bulletin on the website, and these bulletins include articles on hundreds of topics. You'll also find some recorded sermons, some Bible tracts, as well as information about the College View Church. So be sure to check out the valuable resources on our website. Again, the address is collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And thanks again for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Be sure to tell others. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Though a good motive cannot sanction a bad action, a bad motive will always corrupt a good action. Everyone who got where he is had to begin where he was. You know the right thing to do. The hard part is doing it. The time for action is now. It's never too late to do something. Heed the advice of him who loves you, though you like it not at present. Man, I wish I'd said that. 
We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight, and we look forward to you being on the program at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Lots, uh, several people in the chat room. Most people are not signed in, and it's very easy. Follow the instructions at the bottom of the chat window to sign in and uh, join in the comments with other listeners. Those who are signed in are being relatively uh, quiet. Uh, maybe they don't want to step out on this controversial limb that we're on today. Yeah, we're, on, we're into they're some back, controversy. Maybe but they're get, back on the tree going to saw this limb off once we get out on well, it. Come on, get in there and give us your opinions, people. What the water, about The what, water's fine. Come on in. What about this second question we're going to deal with now? Do men uh, have a privilege over women in regard to divorce and remarriage? In yes. other words, the question is, from Matthew 5, 32... And Matthew 19.9, we know that men have some some uh, recourse if their mate is unfaithful. Matthew 5.32, but I say to you that whosoever shall put away his wife, yes. speaking from the man's perspective, he puts away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit a, a, adultery. And whoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. And then in Matthew 19.9, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Mark chapter 10, verse 11, he, uh, whosoever put away his wife and married another committed adultery against her. Well, And verse 12. Yeah, really, on the broader question, can, can women even put away their mates? Secondly, can they put away a mate, a guilty mate, and remarry? So the, I guess the, the first question is, can they even put away a mate? Secondly, can they remarry if they put away a guilty mate? Well, Mark, Matthew, or Mark 10, verse 12 says, if a woman put away her husband, be married to another, she made adultery. Yeah, and and so some might use that in support of their conclusion, that a woman can't put away their mate. Okay. Uh, got, got some answers. Jim in Mount Pleasant says, the usage of the wording man is all-inclusive, meaning it refers to male and female in matters dealing with sin and salvation. The question of the Pharisees in Matthew 19 was about what a man may do, and thus Jesus answered accordingly. Paul's reference to a wife remaining with her husband in 1 Corinthians 7 seemed to indicate that it was well within her liberty to divorce an unfaithful husband. That's from Jim. All right. Uh, uh, and I think you got one there from Aaron. Yeah, Aaron uh, says, uh, let's see here. Aaron says it's uh, not clear to me why. Nope, 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 you don't. Uh, from I think it's from... Yeah, there's two that, no, there's two there from Aaron. Yeah, but I mean, I've looked at the. You know, this is. I think this actually goes to question number three. So, uh, uh, oh, I guess he didn't answer that. I think yeah. you're right. I think you're right. I got. A, I got an answer though from Pat in Harvest, Alabama, who says some teach a woman cannot divorce her husband for fornication because Matthew 19:9 and 5:32 only state the exception clause from the standpoint of the man. But how would that reasoning work with Romans 7, 2 and 3, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39? Wouldn't it mean a widower? Could not remarry since in this truth, since this truth is only stated in the New Testament from the standpoint of the woman. You remember Matthew seven, verses two and three. Also, First Corinthians seven thirty nine says, "If a, a, a woman is bound to her husband so long as he lives, but if she, he be dead, she is free to marry who she will, only in the Lord." So a woman is free to remarry if her husband dies. Well, is a man not free to remarry if his wife dies? If you took the position on divorce, you'd have to take the same position on. Marriage after death. Ooh, you see the point Pat's making? I see making? that point. All right. He goes on to say, because passages like Acts 10.34, because of passages like Acts 10.34, the general rule in the Bible is that any law that applies to the man also applies to the woman. 
just like Galatians 3.28 teaches that laws apply equally to Greeks as they do to Jews, it teaches the same thing about male and female. It could just as easily, I could just as easily argue that Matthew 19.9 only applies to Jews since they were the ones that were listening at the moment, as one can argue that it applies only to men. Jesus didn't have to state the exact same law again for the woman. That would just take up extra space. Sometimes extra space is used, like Mark 10.12, 1 Corinthians 7.12 and 13. But these type verses only serve to confirm that the marriage divorce or marriage law applies the same to men and women, not differently. There's only one New Testament law that applies to both men and women equally. There are exceptions to this general rule, but there are exceptions. That is that you can switch gender roles. Mm -hmm. But the exceptions that are indicate the exceptions, but they are exceptions that are indicated in an obvious way. For example, the husband is to be the head of the wife, and the wife is to be subjection to her husband. Ephesians five. The nature of the case, they can't both be head and also one in subjection to the head, tells you the law applies differently to the male and female, and so on he goes. Uh, and, and then he gives a whole list of, of uh, cases where he thinks most people would agree that uh, the, the roles are uh, reversible. Male, and I want to show you one of the, I, I thought of this too in addition to what Pat has said. I think he's got this in his list. Go to Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, that's one of the ones we read, verse 32, whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. It's worded from the man's perspective. And some are saying, since it's worded from the man's perspective, the woman can't do it. Go back just a few verses in the same context. Uh Look at verse 28. Matthew 5, 28. Matthew 5, 28. I say to you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Mm Mm-hmm. That's worded from the man's perspective. Could a woman not look at a man and lust after him and commit adultery in the heart? Mm. I think most people would agree that she could. Right. This is in the same context. In this whole context, Jesus is is speaking in those ways, like Pat says, using the male role as the generic. But it's obvious that it applies to both. Go back a few verses. Verse 23. Yeah, verse uh, 22. 22. 22. Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Rachel, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Well, it's spoken from the male perspective, but wouldn't that also apply to a woman? So it's all right for women to sit around and call each other fools. Well, it, you'd have to take that view if, you're, if you are going to take the view just a few verses later in verse 32 that it only applies to the man, not to the woman. Okay. So I'm saying those gender roles are reversible. That's the argument that Pat was making in his article. For, I think it's a good thing that they are reversible. For instance, look at John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Does that apply to a woman? Well, yeah, well, we, all, so. we all believe that it does. But it's spoken from a man's perspective. The male role is often used in the generic sense, and I think that we can understand it so. Okay. I think that one's pretty easy. I think that one's pretty cut and dry. Well, Stephen has an interesting take on it. He says, while looking at Matthew 5.32, it indicates that if one divorces their wife, they cause her to commit adultery. There is an implication here that the wife will find another man and remarry, thereby committing adultery if divorced for any reason. However, we know the exception very well, so I will not say anything about it. Even though, if our spouse cheats on us, I don't believe we should be desiring a divorce. In fact, the rule is really no divorce for any reason, Matthew 19, verse 8. Think about it. What if your spouse cheated on you and you divorced them? Would they not be more likely to leave the church and find another mate? Yes. 
But in the event of adultery, what if you decided to show mercy and continually forgive the individual? And what if that spouse that cheated later decided to truly follow God? It would be a lot easier for that individual to be willing to repent and come back to God than if a divorce came about. If after you sinned and committed adultery against God in a covenant relationship, would you want him to divorce you for good? Cannot uh, cannot say it is wrong to divorce if a spouse cheats on you because it is scriptural. And sure, it would be hard to forgive, but all the more opportunity to grow in forgiveness and loving kindness. I just think that man is uh, sometimes very selfish just thinking about what's in it for them. Uh, if, if in fact, if a spouse is so quick to want a divorce after their spouse cheats on them, I really have to wonder if they were part of the problem in regard to their spouse's infidelity. Uh, it's an interesting uh, comment there by uh, Steve, and uh, I think that uh, something worth thinking about, Anthony. Um, uh, yeah. I think it's going to be a judgment call and uh, something right. that individuals have to decide for themselves. Right. I think that's, that's a very good point. Um, you know, you think about, you know, you, you give your, your heart and your life over to your spouse, and sure, committing adultery would be unbelievably painful um, experience, but, you know, you're just automatically, without thought, going to ditch that marriage that was you know, that was so special just you know, for that point. I, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely something to take in consideration, but I would not try to, to tell someone that they shouldn't divorce their spouse, which Stephen pointed out he wasn't saying that it's wrong or bad, but it it would be a judgment call. It's something to consider. It's a whole. There's a whole host of things to take into consideration there, and it has got to be one of the most troubling issues that a person could ever experience in their, in their personal life. Uh, we can talk about what is allowed and not allowed, but applying it to your own case and all the emotions that are involved also make it even more difficult. So uh, I think good comment from Stephen. All right. Well, what do you think? Should we go ahead and take an let, early let, break let, so we have more time? to? Yeah, this next the- question. Now, question three, the question from Bill in Texas is going to be more involved. To take a little time. Let me read it again, and then we'll go to our break, and we'll discuss when we come back. Bill in Texas says, if Paul and the other apostles were guided into all truth and Paul taught on... MDR at least two times, and he and he never said anything about the Jewish exception for remarriage. Why did the denominations and Protestants run to the time era of the Old Testament or the Old Law uh, to quote Christ talking to the Pharisees? Paul said he preached the whole counsel of God, Acts twenty twenty seven. Plus, he said in Second Timothy four seventeen that the message was preached quote fully by me. Paul in all of his teaching on MDR, uh, and he, he mentions Romans seven, First Corinthians seven. In all of his teaching on MDR, the Pharisaical or Jewish exception is not mentioned. If the Holy Spirit guided him to all truth, where is it? Was it an oversight that he did not mention that a married person could get a divorce if a mate committed adultery? It was plain from the reading of the instructions to Christians given by the Holy Spirit and Paul that you are bound to your mate for life. All right, so what he says is that Paul's instruction is the one we got to go by, not Jesus's. Paul's instruction trumps Jesus's. Paul... That gave the rules about marriage and divorce, and he never permitted uh, divorce uh, for the cause of fornication. So, what do you think about that? Let's take a break, and you can get your thoughts together. Send them in the chat room. Give us a call or send an email. We'll look forward to getting into Bill's question on the other side of the break. The bullet point is up next, and we continue right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Gwen with this week's bullet point. Did you hear about the fellow who was discussing his recent visit to a church service? Someone asked him, what did the preacher preach about? To which he replied, I don't know. He didn't say. 
There could be at least a couple of reasons why a person could attend a religious meeting and come away without having received a meaningful message. First, it might be that the listener didn't do his job well. Perhaps he was distracted by other thoughts, and he daydreamed away the time while the preacher was trying to make his points. If this is the case, then more effort needs to be made to listen carefully and to follow along with the sermon. It sometimes helps to take notes, and it certainly is helpful to look up scripture references in your own Bible. Concentration is the key, and this is up to each individual hearer. Try to emulate the noble Bereans who, quote, received the word with all readiness of mind, Acts 17, verse 11. More often than not, the problem of a person not understanding the message lies with the speaker. It is the task of every preacher to work hard, prepare, plan, practice, and perform his duty in such a way to make his lesson plain and understandable. Paul, though discussing the miraculous manifestation of tongue speaking, made a point that is applicable here. He asked, quote, If the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 8. If the preacher doesn't make his points clearly, and if the people leave the assembly with doubts as to what was said or meant, then he has failed in his work. The Jews who were returning from captivity provide a great example for us all in Nehemiah 8, beginning verse 1. Quote, Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Ezra read in the book of the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. We must all do our part in the important process of teaching and learning the Word of God. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Roger Toomes, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. Broadcasting around the world with truth that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the program tonight. And some shocking statistics from the chat room tonight. 78 uh, listeners in the chat room uh, do not want to comment. That's uh, that's sort of disturbing, isn't it there, Anthony? Uh, only, 28, only 22, uh, 28% do, 72 don't. Yeah, we got some shy people tonight. That's all right. It doesn't hurt. You might as well log in there just in case you got a comment that comes to mind. Oh, the percentage just went down. More people are coming into the chat room and not signing in. So uh, just go ahead and sign in. And if you do have a, a comment that you'd like to make, you're already ready to go. It's very simple. We're looking forward to hearing from you as we talk about marriage questions on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're getting into Bill's question now. And, now, that is, and, and real quick from the from the chat room, Jack in, in Georgia says a person would not be in sin if he did not divorce his wife. Uh, nor would it be a sin if a person encouraged a person to remain in his marriage and be reconciled, and, and we'd agree with that. Uh, if if divorce destroys the family, should we as Christians take this very seriously? The family is still destroyed no matter how the divorce, divorce came to be. We would agree with that. It's not a we're not uh, our question is not is divorce what, the right thing? is divorce the right thing to always the right thing to do. Uh, our, our question is more from the standpoint of what does the law of the Lord teach and allow. It, it, the, the law of the Lord does not mandate that if my mate is unfaithful to me, I must divorce her. That's not the question. No, nobody I know takes that view. But the question is, would I be within my authorized rights to divorce an unfaithful mate if that became the case? Nick says it would be much worse to take back a sinful spouse if you could never forget it and threw it in their face often. I would agree with that. And too. Anthony, you said it depends on uh, perhaps the situation. Right. I was just thinking... You know, we were saying that maybe we should really give thought to not divorcing in that situation, but I guess it could depend a lot on on the, the sinful spouse's disposition. Were they doing this out of complete and outright rebellion? Were they they they've given up on the marriage? And they are intending to try to wreck the marriage, or was this a spouse who was caught up in um, you know sin and and is deeply deeply regretful of it and wants to save the marriage? So. That would, I think, 
would have to be taken into consideration um, if you were the unfortunate uh, on the unfortunate end of that situation. A good comment there. All right. All right. Bill's question. All, All right. right, Bill's question. We've read it twice, so we'll just go on. But Bill, Bill's written me in two more emails to sort of clarify what he's talking about. I want, to, and I don't have time for all of it, but I want to touch on. I think the gist of what he's saying. As a follow-up to his question, he says a person is bound to his or her mate for life. Men cannot separate what God has joined together for any reason except death. The exception Jesus was talking about in Matthew 5:32 and Matthew 19 was given to Jewish audiences, and the subject was fornication, premarital sex. There's no such thing as remarriage. It is not in the gospel of our Lord for any reason except death. The claim of one exception the Savior gave is not actually grounds for divorce at all. It's merely the erasing or annulling of a relationship in which the parties were not joined by the Creator at all. Uh, Fornication is a valid reason to put away a betrothed wife. Remember, Mary was called Joseph's wife before they came together. Uh, So you could put away a betrothed wife with the right to remarry. So uh, let me stop you. He says Matthew 19.9 is not talking about someone you're actually married to. It would be maybe your your fiancé. Yeah, someone you're engaged to or betrothed to. I, I would disagree with that because the, the Pharisees ask him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Jesus' answer in verse 6 was, what therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Now, they were married at that Jesus' point. answer proves that they were asking, and he understood their question to be about people who were actually married, not just betrothed to okay. one another. Right. So I think, I think I'd have to, I hope Bill's listening tonight. Bill, I'm going to disagree. I, I'm going to end up disagreeing with your position pretty adamantly here, but I don't want you to take personal offense at it. I would ask you to consider uh, some of these other points. He says, why choose the Jewish exception clause to the Holy Spirit and Paul's counsel and make it applicable uh, in the New Testament for Christians? The Jewish exception is not part of the gospel of our Lord. Paul said he spoke the words of Jesus, also guided by the Holy Spirit to all truths. He shunned not to speak the whole counsel of God. He did not include the exception clause because it was not part of the instruction and conduct for Christians. He goes on to say in another email, Jesus had counsel for both dispensations in the four Gospels, but mainly in Matthew. Not all of what he said in Matthew is for the Christian. We can prove that by quoting verses like Matthew 5.24, when you bring your gift to the altar, or Matthew 6.17 concerning washings in preparation for fasting. He says, when you read the support for Paul preaching the whole counsel on divorce and remarriage, hone in on the fact that he said several times that his words were from the Holy Spirit and the Lord, his counsel was that we are bound to our mate, bound for life to our mate. Don't miss 1 Corinthians 7.10 where he said, Not I but the Lord command this, a wife is not to depart from her husband. All right, so what are we, how are we going to answer? Well, first, uh, first off, I think he's wrong. I think Matthew 19 is not talking about situations where people were engaged or betrothed. That's true. I think it's clearly talking about people who were married, and they understood that was the question they were asking. Jesus understood it. So I, I would take that part off the table. I think Bill's mistaken about that. All right. Uh, Eric has responded, uh, and uh, let's get his comment. And he touches on this Matthew 19 uh, in his second paragraph. He says, it's my understanding that when Paul refers to what the Lord commanded in verse 10, not I but the Lord, he's referring to what Jesus had taught during his earthly ministry, that divorce is wrong. Therefore, it seems Paul is assuming an understanding of what Jesus already taught and was now answering questions related to other matters, such as the marriage of a believer and an unbeliever. He does not address a specific issue of divorce because of infidelity, but builds on the general 
principle, let not man put asunder. The teaching of the Lord was and is still in, a for, in force. He also goes on in Matthew 19, he says, Jesus is not simply answering a question about the law of Moses, as some have suggested. First of all, he answers their general question about divorce by going all the way back to the beginning. And when asked specifically about what Moses commanded, Jesus is, does respond in verse 8, and then says, And I say unto you, verse 9, the same formula is used in Matthew 9, uh, 5, 31 and 32, where Jesus is clearly laying down the new law. Yeah, I think that's right. I would agree so with that. So he's not, he's not reiterating the Old Testament law. This is different than the law they had been uh, living under under Moses' dispensation. Um, I've got an article written by, by a good friend, and some of you will know Bob Dickey. And he, I won't read it all, but he makes this point. He said, in Matthew 19, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, not to us. That's the argument that's being made. Bob asked the question, does this mean that we are to take nothing Jesus said to the Pharisees as binding on us today? What is binding? What is not? How are we to determine? What about what Jesus said to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, when he was told that we must be born again? We already looked at that question. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in other words, just because Jesus was speaking to Pharisees doesn't mean that it was only applicable to them. That's the point being made. He goes on to say, uh, it's argued in Matthew 5.32, Matthew 19.9, that Jesus was merely explaining the old law of Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. But Bob says Jesus was not explaining the old law. There is good evidence, in fact, to show that Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, is not speaking of divorce for fornication. Deuteronomy 22, 22, Leviticus 20, 10 through 16, demanded that an adulterous one should be stoned. Jesus is now teaching that such ones could be divorced. In Matthew 5.32, I, I say to you, Jesus was setting down principles for the new kingdom. Okay. I think Bob is right on that. And I, I want to go to Luke's account of some words of Jesus on divorce and remarriage. Remember Luke 16.18? Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her is put away from her husband committeth adultery. So in the immediate context of teaching on divorce, two verses earlier, Luke 16.16, 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. Jesus was teaching principles of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And in that text, in, in Matthew 5 in particular, it's in a long discourse in which Jesus was saying, it has been said, but I say unto you. And there's a clear contrast between what the Jews were, were interpreting and applying of the law of Moses and what Jesus was teaching would be the law in his kingdom. And I think it's an unavoidable point that Jesus was was teaching something different than what was in the old law of Moses. Under the law of Moses, a fornicating mate would be stoned to death. Yeah. Jesus said you can divorce and remarry. Okay. 877-381-4567 is the number to call tonight. Aaron in Singapore gives us his answer. It is not clear to me why Bill calls Jesus' teaching on fornication a pharisaical or Jewish, Jewish exception. The question in Matthew 19, verse 3, came from the Pharisees, and Bill's position on divorce is exactly the answer that Jesus gave to the Pharisees. His exception for fornication, according to Mark chapter 10, verses 10 through 12, was given to his disciples later when they asked him again about the question. The reaction of the Pharisees in Matthew 19 shows clearly they understood that Jesus' teaching was not the same as, the law, as what the law said, so no one can claim that Jesus' teaching is part of the Old Testament covenant. Paul did preach the whole counsel of God, but when you f- you will not find the totality of New Testament truth in the writings of Paul, because not of all not all of Paul's teaching is recorded. Paul taught the whole truth to the church in Ephesus, yet Ephesians says nothing about divorce at all. So clearly, the writings of Paul are not 
the only way he, they learned. Uh, we should uh, teach all things whatsoever that Jesus commanded his disciples because that's what he told them to teach, Matthew 28, verse 20. Furthermore, Paul himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 13, refers back to Jesus' teachings to establish how certain marriage questions should be answered. And then Paul addresses another question that Jesus did not totally directly address. If Bill is correct, then Paul should not have referred back to the teaching in the time era of the old law. But since Paul did that, we also should. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing a number of questions sent to him by the church in Corinth. There was no need for him to list every truth about marriage if he was only asked about part of it. Excellent answer there by Aaron. I, 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 Aaron always comes up with things that, that are, are sort of eye-opening. I appreciate his good scholarship. Notice in verse 10, 1 Corinthians 7.10, Unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. So he, he did refer back to what Jesus taught while he was on earth. That'd have to be in the Gospels. That's the only place we'd have record of And then he... so. Paul points back to that, and he says, and now I tell, and he says, I'm going to deal with, by inspiration, with something that Jesus didn't specifically touch on. Paul didn't contradict what Jesus taught. He gave some additional information to what Jesus, but he did refer to what Jesus taught. Let's go back to uh, Bill's uh, claim that Paul taught the whole truth, that uh, he taught the whole, all the gospel. I think that's, I think that's a fundamental mistake in the position that Bill's taking here. Yeah. That, that, Certainly, Paul taught the whole counsel of God. That doesn't mean that every bit of it is written down in one of the letters of Paul or in the book of Acts where we read the work of Paul. Furthermore, Paul would have a, you could only take what Paul took. You couldn't have any truths that John revealed or Peter revealed or James revealed that didn't line up right exactly with what Paul had written down. Yeah. In other words, it has to be written in Paul's gospel or else it's not uh, something and we so should be following. If, if that's the case, then when we're seeking authority, we couldn't go to. First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, Jude, James. Right, they're well, out. You know, Paul wrote thirteen epistles. There's twenty-seven New Testament books. We can only use the thirteen of Paul. I don't think so. Paul didn't write every element of truth. I mean, it's not. I, I, I believe what Paul said that when he in his teaching work, he shunned not to declare the whole counsel of God. But that's not to say that he wrote down that his writings exclusively contain the whole truth, and that you don't need the writings of Peter or John, or James, or Jude, and so forth. Uh, I was, and, and some of our listeners in the chat room might think of some exceptions. I was trying to think of some things that Paul didn't mention. For instance, and this may be too simple, this, was in, this is in the Gospels. Of course. Paul never mentioned the events that occurred on the Mount of Transfiguration. Did they therefore, can we not therefore believe that they occurred? That wouldn't be a law or a binding instruction or command. But I'm just trying to think of some things that, that we know that we accept as being so that uh, I, I don't hear. Yeah, you'd have to you'd have to do some time considering yeah, that, but yeah. I'm sure there are some truths revealed in other gospel writers that Paul doesn't have in here. Yeah, um, we've we've fallen behind in the chat room. Anything we need to pick up in there, Anthony? Anthony's the monitor oh, man. tonight. It's, there's there's a lot of stuff going on in there. Um, we had one thing that was interesting. Uh, someone a while ago said. It says this, guest 159. Before on the show, it was indicated that if a preacher cheats on his wife and repents, then he should no longer preach. I'm curious, what if the wife of a preacher cheats and then repents? Would it be okay for the preacher? She to should not preaching? preach. There you go. Cut I'm not sure that you guys I, I, taught that. I, I don't know that we've ever mentioned that. You have. You have. I remember it. You said, uh, you said he probably should step down, I think. Uh, he, he's, he's soiled his reputation. Yeah, well, that's... that's 
that's a personal conviction. I couldn't teach that as a law. law. Yeah. It's not law. Uh, my conviction is that if a man has not been able to maintain uh, uh, fidelity in his marriage, that probably he has one of the consequences that that ensues is probably that he shouldn't be filling the pulpit. But uh, that's a, that's a, a I, I, I label that immediately as a personal opinion on the matter. Anything else, Anthony? Well, there's a lot of discussion talking about whether, you know, as we were talking about, whether all of Jesus' teachings are binding today or were some of them only, uh, you know, being addressed to the, the Jews of the day um, and, and such as that. So uh, I think we, we were talking about Bill's comments and kind of addressed that. So. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's take a break, and when we get on the other side, uh, maybe we'll take some more comments along these lines. If you disagree with us, the best way to have your voice heard is to give us a call, 877-381-4567. The line is toll-free and open, or send your email or your qu- uh, comments in the chat room tonight. We'll take a break. Go to the top of the hour right after these messages. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. My name is Steve Novorak, reminding you to listen to the virtual Bible study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. We welcome you back, and we'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, the Virtual Bible Study. Dot com. We're talking about marriage questions on the program tonight. Real quickly, before we go on to our last question, still dealing with the question of Bill from, from Texas. And I hope Bill's listening or will be, will be able to listen at least to the archive. And, Bill, we appreciate you. We disagree with you. Uh, and I hope you understand it in the spirit in which it are. I hope you take our mis- disagreement in the spirit in which it's intended. Um, here's a comment from Jim in Mount Pleasant on Bill's point. He says, Bill in Texas is confused about old law versus new law in thinking that Jesus was teacher under the old law and that his teaching is relegated to that era. If so, then, so too are the apostles because Jesus gave them the great commission before he ascended to heaven and placed his blood upon the mercy, before he ascended to heaven, before he placed his blood on the mercy seat to establish the new covenant, Hebrews 9. Thus, the apostles themselves, in preaching the gospel, would be preaching an old law message and any teaching dealing with salvation as taught by the apostles Matthew 28, Luke 24, Mark 16, John 3, 5, must be relegated to the old law, that which proves, and, and his point is, that which proves too much proves too little. According to Bill, then, only Paul could be trusted to have a message which could accurately be called the New Testament. Not only that, but the same Holy Spirit that inspired Matthew to write the Gospel of Matthew inspired Paul to write 1 Corinthians, and thus Bill has the Holy Spirit confused and arguing against himself. As an added thought, Paul confirms the teaching of Jesus as New Covenant teaching when he speaks about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11. When Paul writes that Jesus used the elements of the Old Covenant observance of Passover for the Lord's Supper. Thus the Holy Spirit himself gave Paul an example of something Jesus taught under the Old Law that was applicable to the New Law. Jesus said in Matthew 26 that they would eat it anew in the Father's Kingdom, speaking about the future, a future event. Okay. 
All right, so uh, uh, those are some additional considerations. I, I would I would agree with with uh, Jim's conclusion. Appreciate all those comments. We have a question from Eric in the chat room. He says, would you agree that when Paul says, "I not I, but the Lord in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10, he's referring to what Jesus had already taught publicly. Do you agree with that conclusion? I, I agree. Uh, that's, Do you think so? I, I, haven't, I, I never took it that way. I, but I, I agree that in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10, unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. In other words, this was a known teaching of the Lord, that Jesus was on record and that it was understood that this is what Jesus had taught concerning the marriage institution. Okay. And, it, and then, then he goes on and says in verse 11, uh, verse 12, but to the rest speak I. In other words, on other questions of marriage and divorce, I have some additional revelation. Okay. We, we, know okay, Jesus, yeah. we, we know that Jesus didn't teach the, the total of truth while he was on earth. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 12, I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus said, I've not given you every bit of truth in my personal teaching to you. But he went on to say, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of himself whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So they were going to be guided into all truth when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Jesus himself had not taught on every element of truth that they would need to be teaching. Okay, that's good. That's a good uh, good conclusion there. All right, thank you for those uh, questions, Eric. And uh, if you have comments in the chat room, the best way to have them heard is on the phone tonight. We'd like you to give us a call. It's toll-free and the line is open. As we talk about marriage questions, the first, uh, the last question for us to consider tonight, if an innocent mate is put away uh, and by their lawful mate, and he or she, may he or she remarry without sin, if that mate that did the putting away later or before the marriage ended, in fact, has, is guilty of fornication. So you're put away. In other words, this is a couple, and they are legitimately married right. rightfully married scripturally married yes. it's a it's an approved by god marriage they are married and bound to one another yes now one of them divorces the other let's say the husband divorces his wife says i don't want to be married to you anymore mm-hmm. and he takes takes the measures to put her away or divorce her and by the way i had a person at services last night ask me to clarify the difference if there is any, and he didn't think there was, and I don't think there is any between the expression put away and divorce. Mm. Put away, whosoever shall put away his wife except to be for fornication, Matthew 19.9. The put away there is the Greek word apoluo. It's translated in the King James put away. I checked six versions earlier this afternoon. In, in four out of the six versions, English versions I checked, it's translated divorce. Two of them. Translate it, put away. So they're synonymous. Yeah, they're some synonymous terms. I, and and I, mean I've, the same studied, thing. I've studied that at some length. I don't, I don't understand any shade of difference between put away and divorce. Okay. So, right. so here's a man, and he puts away his wife. She has not committed fornication. Mm-hmm. Now, I think most would agree he can't remarry, she can't remarry mm-hmm. under those circumstances because he didn't put her away for fornication. Mm-hmm. And, and so now he... Now it's found out. Let's say either she now finds out after the divorce that he was cheating on her or after the divorce, maybe sometime after the divorce, he takes up with another person and and engages in sexual activity. Can she then remarry? In other words, she couldn't until she either found out that he had cheated on her or he began another relationship after the divorce was over. Can she then remarry? 
There are some people who say she can. Mm -hmm. And it has come to be known as the position identified as mental divorce. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the that's the view that some have have that that's the moniker that some have attached to that. And it's because of a statement. I think this was generated by a statement that was written by a preacher. Some of you will know the name Weldon Warnock. He's now dead. But he wrote a number of years ago, someone asked, what about a woman who is put away, divorced by a man simply because the man no longer wanted to be married? Fornication is not involved, and the woman repeatedly tried to prevent the divorce, but to no avail. After a couple of years, the man marries another woman. Is the put-away woman then free to be married? She certainly is if she puts away her husband for fornication. She would have to do this before God and in purpose of heart since the divorce has already taken place. Legally speaking, she could not go through the process of having a legal document charging her husband with adultery, but God would know. Uh, that, that, was, that was his position. That's what he said. Um, uh, in other words, she'd have to put him away in her mind. It'd have to be a mental divorce. That's where the, where the name mental divorce came from. She can't go through the, a legal procedure because the, the legal process is already completed. The marriage is already ended. And so Weldon Warnock said that she could, although he didn't offer any scriptural proof of his position. Uh, Ron Hallberg wrote in an email correspondent, What about the case where a man repudiates the marriage bond, hardens his heart further, and takes another step on the road of sin by committing adultery? Is There, there is some disagreement on how to apply these principles to the case of the faithful woman here. Some brethren hold the view that since he repudiated and put her away, she cannot now repudiate and put him away. Other brethren hold the view that other principles come into play, permitting her to put away her adulterous husband on the grounds of his immorality. The man's unscriptural action does not preclude the wife from repudiating the man. I believe the second of these two views is what Ron Hallbrook said. Some of you will know Ron Hallbrook. I believe those are absolutely false conclusions. That The, the idea that there could be a second putting away after the fact of the divorce yep. is just nowhere taught in the Bible. Well... Uh, Jim breaks it down for us this way. If an innocent maid is put away, uh, it is exactly what Jesus was dealing with in Matthew chapter 19. I think he's right. I think he's exactly right on that. In Matthew 19, notice, whosoever shall put away his wife. Now, notice, leave out the exception. Just for this consideration, whosoever shall put away his wife and shall marry another committeth adultery. And whoever marries her that's put away. In other words, she didn't commit, in this scenario, she didn't commit adultery. Whoever marries her that's put away doth commit adultery. She, it, it, most people agree if he put her away for fornication, someone who marries her later would be committing adultery if she's a put away fornicator. Yeah. There's, there's usually typical agreement on that part of the question. What if she was innocent? If she was innocent, skip the exception clause in Matthew 19.9, and it still says that whoever marries her that's put away doth commit adultery. Without an exception, and there is no exception listed anywhere in right. Scripture. And so, and this is, this is a bit of an overstatement, a little bit of an overreach in the expression, but it has been said no put-away person can remarry, innocent or guilty. Now, now that's not exactly right. You have, to, you have to be a little clearer on that, and you have to say that... Uh, no put away person, no person who is put away from a lawful spouse right. can remarry another while that lawful spouse is living. Okay. You get that? Let me say that. No person who is lawfully married and put away, no person who is put away from a lawful marriage partner can remarry 
without sin while that married while that bound marriage partner is living. Okay. All right. Um it's uh you know, and a lot of these uh instructions on marriage and divorce and remarriage may seem somewhat um unusual to us, maybe not fair from a human perspective. Uh we have to make sure that we uh don't allow our perspective or our think so's our judgment to uh interfere with what God has said. Because there are a lot of heartbreaking and emotional uh, angles to these scenarios. I think that's exactly right. Um, in, in Matthew, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 7, we've already mentioned verses 10 11 before, but I think 1 Corinthians 7, 10 11 illustrates something. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10, Unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. Depart there is a synonym with divorce. Okay. But if she departs, let her remain unmarried. In other words, she's not supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. But she could get a divorce, and the consequences of that is that she's now unmarried. Right. She said, let, let them remain unmarried or be reconciled to the husband. Let not the husband put away his wife. Now, the, the point I'm making here is men have control over being married and divorced. Mm-hmm. I can marry. I can divorce. God has rules about that, but I can I can violate God's rules. I'm still married. I can violate his rules about divorce. And as a consequence, I'm unmarried. Mm-hmm. I can control the marriage part of it. Mm-hmm. God controls whether I'm bound or freed to, to be married. Right. And so that's, I think, well, when we study this question, it's really essential to, to distinguish the difference between being married and bound. Look at Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, verse 2, the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if her husband be dead, she's loose from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man. In other words, the man she's bound to is still alive, referred to her here as her husband, but she's married to somebody else. And if that's the case, she shall be called an adulteress. When you're married to one, but bound by God concerning a different person, that is the biblical definition of adultery. Right. And so uh, sometimes those subjects don't get explained carefully, and, and I think that leads to some of the confusion. All right. Well, we are uh, just about out of time. Lots of good comments. Anthony, missed anything in the chat room tonight? Um, not not really. I think we, we got everything. I mean, the, the, that last question is such a, a big question. It could easily be multiple uh programs that we could probably spend on that i think folks probably have more to say on on that question and, and it certainly is is one that you know has caused a lot of uh turmoil so to speak I, I see i see in the chat room guest 159 asks what constitutes putting away what does one have to do to put away uh you have to do whatever is recognized in the culture where you live to 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 initiate a marriage and to terminate a marriage it's different in time and place but in answer to that general question, what constitutes putting away, for that matter, what constitutes marriage? There, there will be different rules that apply in different cultures and civilizations. But in every culture, throughout the whole history of time, it's been understood what constitutes a marriage. It may not be the same in some other part of the world as it is right here in the part of the world we live in. But people over there know. When you're married it, it, and when you're divorced. If a, it, they know if a, a couple is married or if they're just committing fornication with one another. Right. They know because there's a there's an established protocol whereby people establish themselves as being married. And the same thing is true about divorcing. There's an established protocol in every culture and society 
that constitutes the termination of a marriage. And so those would be the answer to the question, what constitutes puts away, what constitutes marriage? It's what, it's what is understood in the time and place where you're living. All right. Well, as uh, has been mentioned, we could talk about this for several programs, the whole idea of uh, the God's instructions for marriage, divorce, and any possibility for remarriage. We'll call it quits for now, but uh, we'll probably revisit this subject again in the future. I had an email question that didn't do because it wasn't on topic, but it says, uh, the plumbing doctor, and I don't know where he's from, uh, asked, what about marriages we might with, could use him. with bigger age gaps than normal, like that of 20 years? Oh, what do the scriptures teach about that? Yeah. I, I Same think, thing they teach about interracial marriage. I think it teaches nothing at all. All right. Okay. Good question and uh, quick answer. Well, Dad, thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Good discussion. And, uh, Anthony, thank you for being behind the controls. Thanks. It was, uh, it was a pleasure. Hope you uh, benefited from our study and discussion of God's uh, teaching on this important subject of marriage. We look forward to you giving us a comment or a feedback at any time. If you have a question or comment about something you've heard on this program or any program, send us an email, give us a call, or if you have a suggestion for a future topic to be discussed on the virtual Bible study, we re- request you uh, send in those suggestions as well. We'd love to hear from you. We hope you'll make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area,